again. As mentioned, my name is Ryan Moore, and if I had a chance to meet you, uh, I'd like to do so after the service. Um, but I'm one of the pastors on staff, and this summer we've been going through the book of Psalms, and we are uh, dropping back. I'm sorry if you moved forward after 104 or 103 last week, dropping back to 90. And uh, as you open up your Bibles, if you brought one, uh, or if you're going to use the, the, the Pew Bible, Psalm 90 is on page 496 and then continues on the 497. This is a Psalm of Moses. Not David, but Moses. This is the only Psalm we have of his recorded. It's not the only song he wrote, but it's the only Psalm that we have of his recorded. And most of the time we think of Psalm 90, we think of it, uh, it's often used at funerals. Um, before I read this, I just finished a book last night uh, about one o'clock in the morning called When Breath Becomes Air. And the reason I tell you this is, one, uh, if you want to read that, it's, it, it's, it's kind of an application in many ways of what we're about to read in Psalm 90. It's about a 36-year-old neurosurgeon who is diagnosed with terminal cancer and what is he going to do in the midst of a limited days. Um, so I offer that as an application. If you want to read that book, go. I also offer it uh, uh, just to let you know ahead of time. I, I'm not sure how stable I am right now uh, dealing with my own mortality and, and the fear that death really brings into my life. But I know that it does the same for you, which is why we need Psalm 90. That's why we need to read this and actually be confronted with the end of our days, with the limited number of days that we have. And so this morning, I want to invite you, before you read this again, to visit your funeral. I know Joel Olstein is a sorry he couldn't make it this morning. Um, so um, I'm here uh, to let you uh, visit your funeral. How's that sound, right? But uh, what I want us to see ultimately is that when we do this, what, the, the wisdom that's coming from Psalm 90 from Moses actually brings joy into our life like none other. It actually brings meaning to our life like nothing else can. So with that, let us look at God's word there in Psalm 90, and let's give our attention to it. Verse 1, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but a yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, like they are, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and, it, and, and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants 
and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come again this morning and ask for a miracle. And by miracle that you would create in us something new. That you would take hard hearts and soften them. And we pray that as the word goes out, that it would go out as a seed goes into good soil. Uh, Lord, and that we would produce a fruit. That we would leave here changed people. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. The summer after my freshman year in college, I took a trip to visit some friends who, were in, who lived in California. Um, they had family where I lived in Tennessee, and so they were constantly visiting us. And so this time they invited me to come out and visit them. And I'd never been to California before. Um, for those that have, you'll understand my next statement, especially in this part of California where I was. I, I left the trip thinking to myself, this is, this is a, a gross assumption, I know. But uh, this is why people in California probably don't need God. It's because it's so perfect out here. You know, and it really was. It was, it was a place of beauty. Uh, it still is. And, um, and, but the reason I, I bring this up is it wasn't until about two days left in this week trip that I had to go visit a new place to see new things um, that, I, that I remember being woken up at about 7 in the morning by the father of the friend that I was visiting. And he's literally kicking my bed. And he just says, he says, get up. He says, you didn't come here to do this. You can do this back in Tennessee. You can sleep, basically, is what he's saying. And then he says, come with me. And, and from that point on, like, I don't know, we went him to go walk the dog down by the beach, which was great. Um, he took me to, like, the, frozen, the first original frozen banana stand um, that brought that culinary delight into our culture. Uh, I, I surfed for the first time, right? And, and as I think back about this trip, I think about those last 48 hours, and I think about how... The memories that I have about that trip and, and what really made it joyful and meaningful happened in those last 48 hours. Well, what happened? What, what really changed for me? I was being taught that what it means to number my days or, or vacation in this sense uh, is to recognize that, that when, we, when we know that those days are short, we begin to order those days appropriately. And in so doing, we begin to find meaning and purpose in our life because we enter into the things that we were called to do in the first place. I was being taught that what it means to number my days, to reflect back now as a 15-year-old, to remember that those were the, were the best parts of that trip. And it wasn't until that my friend's dad kicked me out of the bed, forcing me to recognize that I had limited time here. What we see in the psalm is that what's true for me that summer in California is so true for us in our own lives here. That what makes for a happy life today is a numbered life. That's what this psalm is telling us. What makes for a happy life, a joyful life here today is a numbered life. It is recognizing that our days are short and then asking God, what do you want me to do with them? What do you want me to do with the time that I have? And wisdom, what Moses, what Moses asked for here, becomes knowing how to achieve that purpose with the few days that we have here. It's beginning each day with the end in mind, our death, and knowing, <clears throat> and nothing, excuse me, could be more countercultural today than to begin doing that. Which is why this psalm is so perfect for us today. What I would like to do this morning, it's a little different than normal, is just to pull some implications for us. This is a psalm of wisdom. And so I want to pull some implications from it 
that help us understand how the opposite is true. How not ignoring that our days are numbered, but actually beginning with that at the beginning of the day, beginning with uh, or living a life knowing that our days are, are numbered actually brings us more joy and meaning than to just act like this isn't going to happen. So with that, um, I've got four implications, and I don't have those on your handout, but um, I'll, be, I'll talk slow. The first one is this, and we already stated it. What makes our lives meaningful, what makes our lives joyful, <clears throat> actually starts or begins with recognizing that our days are short. It's recognizing that we are only here for a little while. Verses 3 to 6 in this psalm point this out very clearly to us. There is no beating around the bush, if you will. For God, who is eternal, a thousand days to him are like a blink of an eye. We're the ones whose lives show up like a new blade of grass, as Moses writes. In the morning, but by 5.30, it's gone, which is exactly what's happening to my yard right now in Texas, that every morning I wake up, I have a reminder of of how limited my days are and and the brevity of my life as the brownness grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And oddly, what this psalm says to us is that it's actually in recognizing that, in recognizing our days are short, that that, that meaningness and joy can enter into them. It's counter to everything that we're exposed to today in our culture. So much of our lives today, though, I think is spent trying to ignore the realities of this, trying to ignore the realities of our own death, just to continue along with the metaphor that Moses uses, grass. Um, I'm fascinated by how I've seen people in my neighborhood uh, deal with their lawns in Texas, in the Texas heat. Texas is the first place that I've ever experienced uh, someone paying somebody to come out and actually spray their grass green uh, because it's dead. (laughs) It's sort of this idea that, look, let's just ignore what's happening here. Let's just make it look real good, right? Uh, One house I run by uh, for months, I just noticed that it always sort of had this perfect shade of green, uh, well-kept, well-trimmed all the time. And it didn't dawn on me until about around winter it's kind of, I noticed, like, it's still, it looks, this is too good to be true. How is this happening? And so I went over there and I looked at it. <clears throat> I bent down to pick it up. <clears throat> it was turf. <clears throat> this family just said, you know, to heck with real grass. We're tearing it all up and we're putting down artificial, artificial uh, turf here. <clears throat> Maybe you've done that. Not saying anything bad about that. Just an observation in my neighborhood. The reality is we deal with our lives in the same way when it comes to our own death. We either try to cover it up with, cover up our mortality. We either try to fix it with our technology, right? Um, Or we just try to ignore it altogether. And what this psalm is saying to us, what it's telling us is it is so foolish to do that. So foolish to do that in so many ways. It's foolish to ignore your limits. It's foolish to ignore your immortality, your finiteness. And as a result, it's actually when we try to ignore this reality that we grow so anxious in life. And it's in the midst of living life, ignoring this reality, that our lives become more meaningless than they do meaningful. Consider two forms of our lives today. I'm just spitballing here. This may not be you, but maybe it is. Maybe it's me. One way we ignore the shortness of our lives is we get busy. Uh, we love to talk about this. 
We love to feel like we're doing something, like our lives are accomplishing something. We get busy with work. We volunteer. Exercise. Huge, right? All these are good things, by the way. But we fill our lives with this stuff. We start businesses. We play golf. Maybe we start a Bible study somewhere. Maybe we decide to tack on a second or third major. Again, all good things. But we get busy so that we don't have to deal with a number of things. But ultimately, it's because we don't want to have to deal with our immortality, our death. And it's to ignore how quickly our lives actually go by. This is one way that we do this. Another way we do this is we actually try to just escape life altogether. And we do this really well with screen time. <clears throat> Everybody has heard the term binging on Netflix. And if you haven't, what this means is people today, I'll point to myself, uh, will easily go three to four hours watching. This is what I did back in college. Uh, three to four hours just watching shows because they just you know, go one right after another. And it's awesome, right? I want to get sucked into this. And next thing you know, I've seen you know, 22 episodes of Breaking Bad. And, and, and you know, my grass is, well, it doesn't grow anyways. But if it did, it would just be over the hedges. And, um, and so we try to escape life. You know? And interesting enough, busyness and escaping life are actually two forms of sloth. Which is, which is just sort of the, the ability to just check out, to be indifferent about life. And so these are some of the things that we do in order to ignore the realities of what this world presents us. And what they end up doing is they end up making our lives feel actually more meaningless. We feel guilty about our busyness. We feel guilty about the way we binge watch Because we know we're not accomplishing anything of value. How many people have you heard? How many people have you heard say this? Or maybe you said this, that, you know, I'm just, I'm busy doing all this stuff, but what is it for? Why am I doing it? Does it have meaning? Friends, it is foolish to live ignoring the brevity of life. Actually, like death doesn't exist it's, it's ignoring the fact that this is where we're going. And what the psalm invites us to do is start with the end in mind. Start with the reality that our days are, in fact, numbered. What makes our lives meaningful and joyful is beginning with this. It's re- recognizing that we only have a short time here to live. This is the first thing. The second implication is uh, that when we begin to do this, we actually begin to order our lives appropriately. In other words... When we enter into how much little time we have here, we begin to pay so much more attention about what's really important. We begin to pay so much more attention about what it is that we're supposed to do. To go back to my earlier illustration of visiting my friend in California, I cared nothing for where I was until I realized I only had two days left. Living as though our days are numbered actually helps us. It is, it is in, in this way a grace of God to figure out what we are to do with our time. It helps us figure out what's important and meaningful. In other words, it helps us figure out how to order our lives. And this creates meaning for us. When we go off to college or we're deployed in the military, coming home is a big deal. Why? Because that time has become so much more precious to us because it's limited. I remember coming home one Thanksgiving while in college um, and it was, the Thanksgiving break was going to be cut short because I had made plans to go do something more important the day after Thanksgiving. And I remember my mom in the kindest way possible telling me for the, the 36 hours that I was home, 
uh, no company, right? You're mine, right? Nobody's coming over um, sort of in her frustration that I made those plans to begin with. But maybe in a more serious situation, if a family member or, or even ourself is diagnosed with a terminal cancer, and those days become very important then for the time that we have left, it's living as though our days are numbered, it actually helps us figure out what to do with our time. It helps us figure out what is important and what is meaningful. And the same is true as it pertains to God's purposes uh, for the things that he calls you to, right? Uh, which is always a question on our mind. What does God want me to do? And this brings up the good question. What does it mean for us to gain wisdom and understanding the purposes of God's life, uh, what the purposes are of my life? What is it, what is it to, to mean to say, all right, I have such short time. What am I supposed to do? And it's here that I want to offer you a good summary of this. In Matthew 6, 19 to 20, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus. He says this, and this is probably familiar to some of you. Do not lay up your treasures. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys nor where thieves, uh, where thieves do not break in and steal. This verse totally confused me. Uh, completely confused me. Uh, I used to think, is storing up treasures in heaven a way that we earn tangible gifts uh, for a later time in, in heaven? Is that what that is? You know, as if helping mom bring in groceries, for example, uh, resulted in a new flat screen TV that God was now mounting on the walls of my house in heaven. This is what I thought, you know, or maybe going on a mission trip leads to wondering, wow, I wonder how much larger my, my pool just got uh, and my mansion up in heaven. No, Ryan, that's not what it means to store up treasures in heaven. Uh, Treasures in heaven is a way to think eternally. That's what Jesus is using that phrase for. It's a way to think eternally and to order our lives accordingly. Um, See, while we struggle to believe in eternity, Jesus doesn't. He's gone to prepare a place for you. And he's encouraging us to, to live as though that's true, because it is. But to order our days accordingly because of the story we are a part of. Jesus always sees us as being a part of his story. That's the faith component, right? And we struggle to enter into that on a daily basis because we're afraid. We're afraid. But Psalm 90 is actually praying and asking to give us the strength to do this. Treasures on earth is stuff like money, cars, houses, right? Jewelry, anything here, stuff. It's stuff. Temporary things, but treasures in heaven are eternal. They are, as one scholar puts it, a deeper capacity for reflecting God's pure and perfect and beautiful character. Another puts it this way. We lay up treasures in heaven by investing in God's causes and God's people. The effects of such causes last forever. We store treasures in heaven by worshiping God, growing in knowledge and grace, and growing in love for God and neighbor. Did you think about that when you think about what it means to store treasures in heaven? So consider evangelism, just to drive home the point here, or apply it at least. When we share the gospel and someone is brought to faith by grace, by the grace of God, what's the treasure here? They are. They are the treasure. That person who has just been sealed in eternity by the blood of Jesus That person will live forever. 
Therefore, we should desire as Christians to want to share the gospel with people, which helps us order our lives. It actually tells us what we should do with the time that we have. When we grow in grace towards others or the knowledge of God, which is getting patience for one another, loving one another, all these things that reflect God's character, we are becoming something, and this is hard for me to get my mind around, but we are becoming something that will actually go into eternity. And when I begin to think this way, I realize that my time for storing up these treasures, as Jesus calls them, is short. So I what? I give my life to them as best I can. This is how I order my days. And what happens as a consequence of this is my life begins to have significant meaning. There's joy there, like I never knew before, at least more joy, right, than wondering how watching six hours of Netflix really changes my life or my neighbor's life. I love Netflix, by the way. You should watch it, but you get the point. This is how numbering our days helps us figure out what's important and meaningful. If I'm only here for a little while, how do I make that count? And there's a lot of messages that are answering that for us today. I would give you Jesus's, I would commend to you Jesus' words to store up treasures in heaven. Thirdly, next, numbering our days allows us the grace to take responsibility for our lives. There's sort of some irony here in this song for us, which is this. We are the actual reason for the very death that we are afraid of. We are the very reason for the very death that we are afraid of. In verses 7 to 11, we find out why our days are, in fact, numbered. And it's because God is angry with us. Well, why is God angry with us? And Moses would put it this way, because we have broken the covenantal vows that we entered into with him for and about. We have broken that covenant with him. God is angry because of our rebellion. He is angry because of our unfaithfulness. He's angry because sin has now entered into his beautiful and wonderful and perfect creation. But more personally, he's angry because now there's a separation between him and you. Which I think is an important component when we begin to think about sin. We think about the guilt that it, that it, that it, that it brings us and that, that really, you know, confession. We've talked about this back in Psalm 51. We think about it in terms of how do I eliminate that guilt or how do I just get God happy with us? But what God really wants is he wants relationship with us. This is what, what angers him. This is what, what kindles his wrath. And verse 8 points all this out. All of our sin is before him, even our secret sins. This is your thoughts. This is your motives. This is the things that nobody, no, you'll go to your grave. And you'll be the only person that knows about these things. Well, not the only. God, right? And so one of the tragedies of our sin is that we don't make the connection between our immortality and our sin that has actually caused it. Listen to what one scholar puts. It's brilliant. It defines our culture today. The culture that I live and breathe as well. Part of the nature of sin is that men hardly ever realize the ultimate relationship between mortality and sin because they live for the moment. Where have we heard that before? Right? Where have we seen in our culture, uh, I'll just live for the moment. Right? It, it is the air that we breathe today as Americans. 
And what he's saying is that death actually stands as a last-ditch effort for you to see yourself as you are, a sinner. The very reason for your death in the first place. And to seek repentance before the Lord, to receive the forgiveness which he longs to give, will actually lead to eternal life. The very thing we're trying to get with our technology, the very thing we're trying to, to, try, trying to have here by ignoring our death. Otherwise, our lives become disordered, chaotic, and meaningless. And it causes us to just throw up our hands, which a generation has, and say, look, is this it? Is this all that there is? Should we just eat, drink, and be merry? And that's when the beauty of the psalm really, and and its wisdom, really begins to just pour over us. The psalm says, no, 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 that's not all there is. That's not all there is. Meaning in this life is found in numbers, not in moments. That my life can actually find itself uh, to being, being a part of a greater story than my own that is going somewhere for all eternity. That by repenting of my sin, by taking responsibility for it, I'm not just left here with less guilt. And this is the beauty. I'm left with a God who in his kindness invades my short life here and brings eternal happiness and forgiveness and joy to this life now. Who does this? Who writes a story like this? The very God we have afflicted longs to come in and invade our lives here temporarily. So that we may experience the joys of our number of the, of the number of our days here. We're not just left to toil. We have eternal happiness to look forward to. This is unthinkable. And then at the end, we read, and Moses says, establish the work of our hands. This God actually gives us the right to return to him the work of our own sinful hands so that he might in turn bless it, govern it, and cause it to flourish. That's how good this God is. That's how much he wants you to be a part of the story that he has carved out for you in Jesus. I don't know any other story that writes itself this way. But this all begins with a plea to repent. In a strange way, God has taken something as terrible as death itself and has made it a kindness to us that we might be confronted with the opportunity to seek the forgiveness that he offers from the very sin that brought death into this world in the first place. Numbering our days allows us the grace to take responsibility for our lives. And in return, gosh, this gives us so much. I digress. Number four, and this is the last one. This leads, uh, numbering our days ultimately says your confidence is not in you. It's in something or someone else. This is probably the most pregnant one of the entire psalm. Um, We are familiar with how an anchor in a boat works, I'm sure. Uh, An anchor in a boat grounds and secures the boat underneath the water, regardless of what is going on above the sea. Um, We all have an anchor, if you will, or a promise that we live by. It's a promise that defines all other promises, right? Um, What becomes the truth that all other truths are compared to, that's your anchor. 
right? This is what you're attached to. Um, Moses begins the psalm with an anchor. Moses begins the psalm with a faith statement in verses 1 and 2. And it's actually what allows him to go through the rest of the psalm. And this is where I want to leave you. In verses 1 and 2, we read of the truth of God, that he is eternal, that he is everlasting to everlasting. In verse 1, we read that God is our dwelling place, our refuge is what that word means. And he's our refuge for all generations. That is, God is the same today as he was for Moses. And it'll always be that way. Because there's only one God. This is Moses' anchor. It's the truth that all the truth for him is compared to. It's what's constant under the water, regardless of what is going on above the seas. And ultimately, it's what Moses places his confidence in life in to face its hardships, to face the reality of his immortality, to go about the business of entering life, numbering his days. This is why he starts here in the psalm. What Moses is sharing with us is that if our souls then are not tied to something eternal, we won't have the confidence to number our days and to live with them with the end in mind. Which eradicates everything that we've set up here already. Which leads to chaos, which leads to meaningless in life. All of us seek refuge in something. All of us tie our lives to some story. What is it? What is it? For Moses, his anchor in life are the promises of God. That's why he starts this psalm this way. That's why you have to start the psalm this way. That he is who he says that he is from everlasting to everlasting. And it's this truth that anchors him throughout the rest of the psalm. It's what sustains him. It is his refuge both in this life and in death. And the wisdom then of numbering our days becomes a grace of life to us that says, this is, this is so much bigger than you. You're going to need something else. And isn't that really the ultimate thing that our death is doing for us? Nobody can go with us there. The feelings of being alone terrify us. It's more than we can bear. So we get busy, we escape. But what the psalm is saying is, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Let it show you that you need something more than you. That you need something more than you to, to attach yourself to this thing. In order to have the confidence to go throughout life, numbering your days, receiving the joy and the meaningness that that brings. Well, what is it? What do we do? The psalm says you want peace in life, you can have it. The psalm says you want joy, it's here. Learn what it means to number your days. Learn what it means to live with the end in mind. But is that enough? Because if we just leave it right here, right? This is just one of the many philosophies of life that you can pick from. And if it works for you, great. But that's not what Moses has in mind here. We have to see... That someone else, else actually attaches himself to us in order to have a confidence to do this. You have to have an anchor in life. You have one. But the beauty of the anchor in Scripture is that this God is the one who actually attaches himself to you. This is the beauty of it. For Christians, it is Jesus, and I want to offer him to you this morning. 
Jesus is the anchor of the soul for the believer. He is our refuge. He is our hiding place. And when we look at Jesus' life, what he came to do for you and what he came to do for me, what we see in him, God in the flesh now, is that he numbers his own days so that you could have days eternally. And only in him can we have real hope and confidence that our lives are going somewhere after we die. And only, when we, only then will we have the confidence to make our lives about storing up treasures in heaven. But you've got to see that he has tied himself to you first. He has numbered his days <clears throat> so that we may have days eternally. Think about this. And, and, and think about his life for just a second. You, you can only think about the fact that God eternal came to be man to number his own days for just a brief while. I can't get my arms around that one. But then look at his life. How did it order his life? How did it tell him what was most important? All throughout the Gospels, what do we hear? It's not yet my time. Right? Jesus is saying, going through, doing miracles, performing things. It's not yet my time. He would heal a blind man. He would tell that blind man, go, you know, go and be clean, but don't tell anybody yet. Why? Because he didn't just come to heal one or two blind people. He came to do what? <clears throat> to set the captives free. To set the captives free. And the cross is the ultimate expression of his love and what he came to do. Because on it, Jesus takes the full responsibility of of our sin by bearing its wrath. And in doing so, he doesn't just store up treasures for himself in heaven. He makes you his treasure. And you've got to begin to ask yourself, how can I refuse that? Why would I refuse that? God numbered his own days so that you could have days eternally with him. He ties himself to you. That is your confidence in this life and in death as well. I'll finish here with what the writer of Hebrews says. For people swear, this is in chapter 6, for people swear by something greater than themselves. Talking about oaths here. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God, who entered into an oath with us, desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope Set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast, here it is, anchor for the soul or anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on your behalf. You can number your days, my friend, with confidence because Jesus numbered his for you. And, the, and so that, so that, he might be yours eternally so that he might be your anchor of the soul. But you've got to say, I want that. You've got to say, I need that. You've got to say that that, 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 that anchor, that that refuge is more beautiful and believable than any other anchor or refuge that I would place my hope and faith in. You have to repent. Have you said that? Can you say that? Could you consider it? Because friends, our days are short. So short. We do not have much time. But for the one who has considered it and has Jesus as his or her refuge, for the one who in him, Jesus is truly your anchor of the soul, 
you can have the confidence to look death in the eye and say, where is your sting? Which I'm offering to you is the effect of singing this song today. Death, where is your sting? Which Paul gives to us in 1 Corinthians 15. Where's your sting? I gladly live in light of the shortness of my life because I know that it has no hold on me. Because Jesus has attached himself to me. He is the anchor of my soul. And in doing so, the fear of death melts in certain ways. And we can get about the business of making our lives be about storing up treasures in heaven, which is what we were called to do here in the first place. This is how the happy life, friends, is the numbered life. It seems like it'd be the other way around. But let that be music to your eternal souls. Let Jesus be the confidence you need today to face tomorrow with whatever it brings because he ties himself to you in death and his death and resurrection through faith. And as verse 12 says, and may we sing, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Moses, and we thank you for the psalm that you gave him. And we thank you for how it enters into our life today, no different than his. Uh, no different uh, was he than, than, than we are that fear our own deaths, um, that deal with it in so many different ways. And, and may that become the megaphone to show us the love that you have for us in Jesus, the true anchor of our soul, who came to make us his treasure. Will that win us over? And will that give us confidence too on that day of days, whenever it comes, when our lives here end? And we don't know where we're going, but we have confidence to know that he will come and get us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.